Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that through the modern technologies that we have available, we might still be able to gather and worship together. And at the same time, care for ourselves and the community around us as we all try to this spike of COVID-19. We pray that you would meet us, speak to us, and transform us by the power of your Holy Just like you did with your, with Paul. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we are finishing our sermon series on Unraveled. And I'll be honest, every time that I'm about to uh, plan ahead and do a sermon series, I think to myself, surely at the end of this series, we'll be worshiping differently than we were before. I mean, we had our unraveled, some of our, our fears and our anxieties and the different things are named, and we took it from the table and put it into the hula hoop. Uh, here, and we wove them together from what was a, a, a torn and scattered mess is, is now something that has uh, beauty and something that is, looks like it's been intentionally crafted together in this. And, and I was hopeful that here on Sunday morning, we could gather together and we could uh, see this image as a sign of where we had been and where we are going, because surely six weeks ago in early uh, mid-July when I had planned this series, I said to myself, on Labor Day weekend, we will be able to be live in worship in person as well as online. And yet here we are in week two of actually the most rigid lockdown that we've had, you know, that and then early on in the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. It's interesting how what I think is a sermon series about a new path, a new way forward, what's the future of the church going to look like, uh, has changed a little bit for me this morning, given the reality that we are, you know, well, here, doing things the way we're currently doing them. And, and so I, I, as I read the scripture this morning, I took a different lens on it than I normally do. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It's one of my favorite scriptures because it reminds me of my own story of faith. In fact, during uh, the ordination process, uh, one of the questions that's often asked of ordinands, people that are making their way into uh, the ministry, is what biblical character do you associate with most? And for me, I associate with Paul. Because I didn't grow up in the church, and I actually was, you know, actively enjoying conversations with some of my friends that were, you know, at the time when I was in high school, the, the battle between Darwinism and creation was there. And so I was really enjoying the, the, the attitude that I could, like, kind of push them and, and challenge them and ask them questions. And, um, you know, so I, get, I wasn't persecuting Christians, but I surely had fun teasing them, you know, and I, had fun kind of challenging them on their thought process and different things as well. And I'll be honest, nothing about my perspective or my opinion about faith changed when I stumbled into my faith. I just happened to stumble into it. Just like the Apostle Paul, nothing about what he was doing changed his disposition or his readiness to participate as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says in Romans that while I was weak, while we were weak, at the right time, while we were enemies of God, God reconciles us. 
And you saw that here in his story. He was literally, he had just gone to the synagogue in Jerusalem and gotten these papers to go into the synagogues of the various communities and around Jerusalem and persecute the Christians that would gather there and teach what was known as the way, which was the early name that the Jews called the Christians, the way. So he was able to go in and persecute in the name of the chief priests, and he could bring them bound to go to trial, and we know how that ended up for Jesus even himself. And so Paul was actively going that way. And so I could kind of spin off on on a sermon about how God meets us where we're at and that while we were enemies, God's love encompasses us, transforms us, because that's my lens I normally take on it. So as a pastor, one of the things I often get asked is, how do you interpret the Bible? Or they don't say that directly, but they often will say, well, I don't know how to interpret the Bible. I don't know how to, you know, get the right meaning and the right message out of it. And I think it can get, you know, much more broad and, you know, much more deep when the more you know, the more historical understanding you have, all of that stuff that you learn when you're in graduate school. But honestly, if you want to know how you can read the Bible for interpretation, place yourself in it. Imagine yourself as one of the characters, for example, for a long time, imagine myself as Paul, right? On my way to do not the Christian thing and being met by Christ. What did that mean for me? But today, I took a little bit of a different angle on it because today it's, I find myself in this sort of middle ground space, See, our sermon series is about discovering a new path and what lies ahead. But the reality is right now is that that is still unknown. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And I wish that we did know what tomorrow was going to look like, but we just don't. Thursday could be the end of our two-week lockdown, or it could continue, as Lieutenant Lieutenant Governor Green said, for another two weeks which I know some of you need to gasp at that. And so I can't help but for a moment imagine myself or us as a community in one of two places. See, because we don't know what the future holds for us. We know what was, and we know where we are at now, but we don't know what's yet to come. And so what do we do when we're in that in-between place. And I think we see two of the options many of us have with these two characters, Ananias and the Apostle Paul. That in this in-between place, you might be right now this morning like the Apostle Paul, who was once persecuting and has yet to do these magnificent things through the power of the Holy Spirit that he does not even know what it's going to look like. But there he was moment, and he was blind. He couldn't see anything. And whether you're intentionally, you know, see no evil, speak no evil, you're intentionally covering your eyes because you don't want to know what is yet to come, or whether you're caught in the grips of despair or depression or isolation, and you just can't see a future. You're just blinded by the moment. All you can do there is pray. 
You knew where you were, and you are utterly confused at what is going to come next. Or you could find yourself like Ananias. You knew what was, and you do not want what is to come. You can see it down the road a little bit, what might be on the horizon, and what you see on the horizon is something that you do not want to happen. Because what was his perspective in the story? Well, his perspective in the story was he knew that this guy, he had, the Ananias had stumbled into his faith. He had started to follow Jesus, started to learn the way spoke, but all the people in the way knew of some of the main proponents against that movement. Some of the early persecutors, and Saul was one of them. And so he had heard that Saul was actively persecuting Christians, and he simply did not trust or want to believe that God could transform him. Ananias was faithful. He responds to God, here I am, use me, O God, but then is challenged by what? Go to the man named Saul, for he will be a vehicle of God's love in the world. Bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles and to the kings. But Ananias sees what might be what could be if things go wrong, and has this hesitation. You could find yourself, like Paul, blinded by what the next steps might look like. Looking back, but knowing that there's something that has changed that will change you forever, and you can't go back, but totally unaware for what will come next. Perhaps it's, it's not just the lockdown and, and learning uh, to live in isolation. Perhaps it's you've lost a job that maybe you weren't 100% satisfied with to begin with. And, per, and perhaps now is the time when you know that you're not going to go back to that place, but you have no idea what the next is going to look like. Perhaps it's like that with school, right? You know, we know it's not going to look the way it was last year pre-COVID, and we just can't imagine doing distance learning for another two more weeks, let alone another half year or year altogether. Whether it's that you knew you had that income and that steady security blanket that now has been rocked a bit. You don't know how you're going to fill up the bank as much as you need to live out retirement the way that you had wanted or your move or your next steps. Or you could find yourself like Ananias, concerned with what potentially could be, concerned with what went wrong or what could go wrong, that you don't want to see what might be a beautiful gift to you and to the world because of the perhaps or because of the uncertainty of what that's going to look like. 
I, I often have the lens of a pastor and church leadership, and so I read a lot of stuff on that. And the easiest way to imagine that for me is to know a lot of people are saying that church will look different in the future. That, that, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but what we do know is that it's not going to be like what it was prior. And for many of us, that's disconcerting. We knew that. That was structured. We could gather Sunday mornings. We could do our small groups in the ways that we did it. We could do our missions. We could do the things that we had come to learn over the past, you know, 50 years as we've developed this thing called church in the modern era. And we know that the future might be something different. We might have some ideas about what it would look like. But honestly, I don't like that as much as I like the certainty of what was back or apply that to your jobs. I'm taking my, my whole family is, is going to go in to get our flu shot next week. And as we go in to get our flu shot, they already said preemptively that they're going to take the weight of Stella and Hudson because they're going to do what they call telehealth. And it's in October and November. So, well, actually for Grayson and for Hudson, October and November, they're going to do their well child checkup via telehealth. But because they still need to get like the measurements, the weight and the height of our kids, they're going to do it when we're actually in person. And friends, I'm telling you, I think that they're going to like this and they're going to continue with some of these telehealth options out there. And so perhaps you found yourself in a career that looked a certain way and now that things have changed with COVID, you know that people are going to find the convenience of staying at home and meeting with their doctor or just doing something video or whatever that field is for you. You can see it down the road and you say, uh-uh, I don't like that. I like to go back there. Our Wednesday morning women's group is meeting right now. And well, the book that they're reading is, um, it was written, I think, in the uh, like right early 2000s. And it was, Who Stole My Church? And it, was, it talks about how uh, the church has changed, which of course it's changed even more so since the book was written. But it talks about how church was changed and some of the dynamics between uh, like hymn music and praise music, contemporary music, and then some of the other challenges that have changed the church over I don't know, the past 20, 30 years. And one of the things that uh, kind of comes up there as I hear them processing it uh, via some of the leaders in that group is know what was. And they get it. They get that things are changing and things are different. We want to connect in different ways. But they don't quite know that they're there yet, at least some of them. And that the, what the future might look like is changing the past enough so that it not sure. And the book continues, and then eventually the book kind of leads later to guide people, or the people, the characters of the book. Sorry, ladies, if I'm kind of breaking the moment, you going ahead of you a little bit. The characters start to recognize the call of our faith might lead us to the places we may not quite yet be ready to go. And the Apostle Paul, there in the darkness, knows he can't go back, probably afraid of what's to go forward. But when he is healed, he goes. 
And, and mind you that Jesus is quite clear from the beginning of this thing, that Jesus is clear that what goes forward with Paul is not necessarily pie in the sky, that what is next isn't necessarily just moving forward in the next best thing, right? He's persecuted. He's sent in prison. He's stoned. He, he goes through trials. He spends years and years up in the north. That is kind of the, the black period of his story where he, the ministries that he tries to start aren't so glamorous like Ephesus and Thessalonica and Galatia and Corinth. In fact, spends this time in his life where things go wrong, he runs out of his money, and he has to come back, tail between his legs. And then ultimately not able to live out his greatest dream, which is to go to Rome and to bring the good news there and to Spain beyond. All of the disciples, minus one, face, well, martyrdom. The future is not always easy, and I wish we could tell you that through the story of our faith, but the future is a future with God following Jesus and embodying him in the world. So I don't know where you are now, and I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. But I know that what's ahead is something that we can continue to follow Christ and show his love in the world, if we're willing. God will lead us. We have yet to follow. So will you follow? Will you trust in whatever specific area that is in your life that you're feeling this way, which I imagine that many of us are, whatever that means for us together? We've got an interesting fall ahead of us not only with everything going on with COVID, but interesting fall coming up with all the politics and the back and forth. So I invite you to do what we're called to do. To trust. to do not the next best thing or better thing, but the next right thing. I forget. It'll come to me. That we might pray in the darkness and God might reveal a path forward. We might have to lose in either sense what we held on to in the past so that God might change us and make us new. As we've been singing throughout this series, that God makes beautiful things out of the dust.
And we've gone through a lot. We've been talking about a lot, whether it's fear, whether it's, you know, justice in the world, whether it's, what's next? Let's let God make something new in our lives together. That what comes next might be more beautiful than what we could imagine or envision. It certainly was the case for Paul. And Ananias surely must have sat back in awe of the wonders and the signs and the good news that is proclaimed through this guy that he did not trust to be able to follow Christ. I invite you this morning to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, this morning we may find ourselves like Ananias, uncertain what might come. We might find ourselves like Paul, blinded to see what the future is going to hold. All we know is that something has changed. In either case, as you reveal to us and as life unfolds and the future starts to become more clear, we pray that we would go and trust that whatever lies ahead is going to be an opportunity to reveal your love and your grace in the world. And that's often the way that we look at it when we move into this time of prayers of the people and we say, what is the next going to hold? It's so much uncertainty and so much doubt and skepticism about what really can change in the world. And for example, we look around the world and we see violence and pandemic growing in all kinds of places and especially in places where people are going to have less access to medical care. And it's in that uncertainty we pray your Holy Spirit would transform. And the same with our earth. Scientists and environmentalists telling us over and over again that it's almost or already beyond the point of no return. We pray somehow for your Holy Spirit to transform us, and all that you've made. And for our nation, for our black brothers and sisters that are crying out, I can't breathe, and saying that their lives matter. And the people on the other side of our Facebook feeds or news stations 
having us believe something entirely. In the midst of our bipartisanship, somehow help us as a nation find a unity where all people can gather at that table and have dignity and, and worth and a voice. And for our, our local community, we pray for guidance, for safety, that we might get through this time of lockdown and that we might be able to find a way forward for all of us. Transform us through this, O oh God, so that we do not have to do this again. And for our local church, we pray. Celebrating uh, the engagement of Melanie Killam's daughter. Remembering the loss of our beloved Natalie a few weeks ago. And also praying for Debbie Ritchie's dad who fell and is in the hospital. And for those of us that feel disconnected or isolated from our fellowship of community, or unable to live out our call to care for those in the world like we ought, because the way we do service and missions has changed, we pray. Transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.